Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me there on Twitter. And this is the show where we go over a little bit of the previous slates. We talk a little bit about tonight's slate. In the NBA, we got a bunch of games. Uh, already, uh, Anthony Davis is is out, and we don't know what else is going to happen. So, uh, if you if you're looking for picks and plays and locks and stuff, it's eleven o'clock in the morning. We have no idea what's going to happen by the by the time by the time lock hits, all all this information will just be poof out the door. So, we talk a little bit more about DFS strategy on this show, and to join me like we do every Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool. Co-author with me of the theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass that you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. So, uh, so James, uh, I know it's not NBA related, but there, there was there was a game yesterday. It, it, supposedly, it was a big game yesterday, uh, and. Uh, of course, I did well. I, I bet bucks uh, plus plus three and a half, and so so I'm 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 good. I mean, not for much money, so who cares? Uh, but we saw in the the DraftKings uh, the million the milli. There's seventeen hundred people or so that could say that they won the 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 milli uh, for for like twenty four hundred and fifty dollars. When it comes to showdown contests, we say even in NBA, in anything, when you're playing the large field GPPs, especially in, in the normal showdown in NFL, there may be 150,000 entries. This one had 650,000 entries. Uh, do you want to explain the fact that if you had that lineup at lock with all zeros, right? It, the game didn't even start. You automatically lost money in the long run. Yeah, you, you've already, like, the, the entire point of playing GPPs is for that first place equity. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh, but I, I still, like, you know, I tied for it, but I still took first place. No, you didn't. You didn't really take first place. You tied with 180 other people and slashed your EV down from, uh, I, I can't even do the math off the top of my head, but it's got to be, like, what, 150th? What, like, it, it's expo- but it's exponential, so it's it's even less than yeah. That. It's it's even less. I, I mean, you destroyed your expected value because you had a duplicated line, and it's one of the things why in my community I preach it. In the theory of DFS, we preach it. I'm sure Jordan preaches it. I know that he preaches it when he plays showdown. The the main thing in playing showdown contests is being unique, because if you're not unique, sure you ended up winning the milli, but you actually didn't do anything to help your long term ROI. All things considered, you hurt your long-term EV prospects because you had a lineup that had like zero EV. You had like negative EV on a lineup that was due. Right, that that lineup, that the lineup that won is not going to win first place enough for it was a $10 entry. So you have to think in terms of you're spending $10 on your entry regardless, okay? So my entry that... And it and it, I want to highlight the point that if you're playing a 650,000 entry contest, it's highly likely. Like I played 80 lineups, and none of them were unique. Like, but some were less than 10. A lot were less than 20. So it's like, okay, if I have a lineup that's only duplicated 10 times, and I'm playing $10, and the first place is a million, right? And obviously, you split the other places. So you get some nominal 100,000 here, 50, it comes together. But let's just use a million to make it easy on the math. If you're unique and you spend $10, you have a shot at winning 100,000 to one on your money, right? Because it's $10 to a million. If it's split 10 ways, you're going to win $100,000. So you're now getting 10,000 to one on your money. If it's split a hundred ways. Well, now you're only getting $10,000. So now you're getting a thousand to one on your money. Is this lineup going to be the nut lineup? Cause that's what you need the nuts. One out of a thousand times, maybe not. Right. Maybe that lineup that's duplicated a hundred times is not going to be the nuts. 
one out of every thousand. Maybe it's one out of every 1,400. That's still negative EV. Then once you get to this point where if the lineup's going to be duplicated a thousand times, I mean, now we're talking about you're winning a thousand bucks. That's a hundred to one. Like there's no chance that your lineup is going to be the nuts one out of every hundred times in a DK showdown contest. So this is what we mean by the long term. Like, yes, yeah, great. You spend 10 bucks, you got 2450 or whatever, about 2500. It's like, okay, that was a pretty good 250 to one investment. Yeah, but my lineups had shots at at 100,000, at 500,000, at $70,000. And the difference in the projection between my lineup and your lineup is marginal. There's nothing. There's not much. I mean, the differences are not much. It's 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 easy to make unique lineups. If you want to leave uh, 40,000 on the table and play Dion Yelder and, and Nick Kaiser and all in the same lineup, yes, that will be unique. It also is such a low projection that it's it's not, it's, one in a billion could get there, I guess. There is, I guess, a situation where the first teams of both teams just, I don't know, get all get food poisoning at halftime and whatever, and they can't play the second half. I guess there's an instance for that. But the whole thing is to not worry about like that one slate, that your overall strategy when you're playing uh, showdown contests, and just like in any contest, we talk about, you know, building plus EV lineups in, in NBA GPPs. You, you're going to lose like 90 plus percent of the time. Like that's that's normal. Same thing for showdown. But you want to make it so that when you do win, you win the most amount of money that you could possibly win. And it's positive expected value that the chances of it being the nuts in showdown, you're getting paid more than your fair share for your entry fee. And with everyone paying the same amount for their entry fee. What's the point of making a lineup that's going to be duplicated 1,700 times? Unless you did it by accident. I mean, like, there's a difference between, you know, oh, I think that, trust me, if you think it's going to be unique and it ends up being duplicated 1,700 times, you need to reassess your process on on how how, how you, you weed out some duplicated lineups. Uh, but, I mean, there are plenty of times that I play a lineup and I'll go, 130 times in showdown or like, okay, I guess I, and I, I know I screwed it up at lock. I think the key thing is to, to view it at lock at lock. The first thing I do is I put, put it, put it into a tool that tells me how duplicated it is. And then I could judge, doesn't matter what happens in the game. As long as I have high, decently projected lineups that are less duplicated, maybe not unique. It's hard to get unique lineups. But if I get sums that are unique, uh, duplicated three times, six times, two times, 12 times. Oh, okay. Okay. I could, I can deal with that. But once I see like 68 and 84 and I go, I don't, I don't even care if it wins at that point. I'm, I'm upset. I'm upset before the slate, like the first play of the game even happens. But I mean, but this, this is what expected value is. So you you could play a lineup like that, win twenty five hundred dollars, and go, wow, isn't that isn't that great? But if you did this like over and over and over and over and over again, you're gonna come out you're gonna come out behind. Well, and that brings up the idea of relative value as well. Like when you have when you're trying to build unique lineups, one of the reasons why being unique is good not only because of the EV prospect, but also because you have better chances of passing the field when your guys do well. If you have these lower owned dudes that make your lineups unique. Um, if you have a lineup that has, like, if we keep it with the with the showdown with yesterday, right? Like, if you have Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes, and Tom Brady with Rob Gronkowski and, I don't know, Cameron Brait or something like that. Whereas both Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Brait, well, Rob Gronkowski wasn't that under-owned, but Brait was pretty under-owned. So if you have that you are passing people significantly more that have the combination of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Tom Brady because you have Cameron Brait scoring points. Every point that he scores, whereas he is lower owned, you're going to pass more of the field. Then if Tyreek Hill is scoring points, who is 50% owned, or Travis Kelsey, 60% owned, the other 60% of the field also gets those points. So when you're building a unique lineup, not only are you increasing your EV for your payout if you end up placing first, whereas if you tie with 12 people, it's significantly better than tying with 120, but also you have a better chance of actually taking that first because you're getting more relative value out of your line. Another point that uh, 
VG Savage in the YouTube chat. And you know, you know, I like my people on YouTube. Got the apple juice here. Keep it cold. Hit those thummy thumbs. Uh, VG Savage says Gronk was one of the lowest owned captains. And it was mentioned yesterday in the DFL and the NFL pregame, which me and Tambo did not to put him in the captain due to high ownership. I never mentioned not putting him in the captain due to him personally having high ownership. We talked a lot on the pre-lock show yesterday with Tambo. And we both said, we're not playing any lineups with Rojo in the captain. Like that was a cash lineup. A lot of Rojo captain lineups were cash lineups. The reason is not because Rojo and the captain, 2% owned. Grok and the captain, 2% owned. The problem is, is that they're $2,200 and $3,000 players. So once you plug them into the captain, you naturally could play Mahomes, Brady, Hill, Kelsey. You could play all the studs and one uh, Tampa Bay receiver, okay? It's not hard to make that lineup. So yes, he's a low-owned captain, 2%, right? 2% of 650,000 entries is still 13,000 entries. And out of those 13,000 entries, how many are you going to use at least 49K in salary? Like most of them, which means how many choice, how many lineup combinations really are there that spend 49,000 in salary and use... Gronk and the captain. Well, then you could play Antonio Brown. You could play Mahomes. You could play, not play Mahomes. You could play Hill and Kelsey together. Like the lineup that won, that's that lineup. I mean, like how many combinations of that type of lineup? The only way to get different in that type of lineup is instead of playing Tyreek Hill, I'm just going to play a kicker instead and leaving 8,000 on the table. Yeah, you could do that. But those were also duplicated, right? Those, those even had more than 10 duplicates in it. Because the lineup construction as a whole, in a smaller field, if you were playing a 500-person contest and want to play that lineup, go, go for it. Have fun. Just understand you're thinking about lineups, not players. I say this all the time. That once you plug in a cheap captain to pay up for all the studs, you, you think you're the only one that thought of that? I mean, like, it's obvious. If I plug that into to lineup HQ, those are exactly the lineups that I'm going to get. So anyone that's like, I want 10% Rojo captain, 10% Gronk captain, like they're all going to get those lineups because why wouldn't you? You're spending most of your money and you're getting, you're, you're getting the best players in there. It's being more unique by playing Fournette in the captain, by playing, by playing Tyreek Hill in the captain, but not Mahomes. I had a lot of those lineups. Kelsey in the, I had a bunch of lineups, Kelsey in the captain, no Mahomes. Like most people are going to correlate that. So I'm like, Kelsey could get there, but the Bucks win. And then I got like uh, Brady stacks in there, Brady, Godwin, Gronk, like that. And then I'm still leaving like 7,000 on the table. And I looked at those and like, oh, those are single digit non-duplicates because I'm trying to get different there. Still using the same players, but now in a different configuration, that's unique. Now, if that wins, I win $150,000 versus 2,500 by playing an expensive captain, but in some non-correlative manner, leaving money on the table, things like that. I had Brady captain lineups because Brady, I thought was going to go under-owned. And Bra the Brady captain lineups didn't have Mahomes. I didn't play the other quarterback in it. So I'm playing lineups where it's like Brady, Brown, Gronk. Sounds good to me. That's what happened yesterday. Then play like CH and like the Chiefs defense. And you go, oh, the Chiefs defense. Don't you have Brady and the captain? It's like, well, what happens if the Chiefs score two defensive touchdowns and Brady has to come throw the ball to come back and he throws the 303. Here's a combination that less people will do. And the Chiefs defense is still cheap enough that he, Chiefs defense could still be in the nut lineup with seven points because like all the other players still go off. So like you could still play the same players in that more unique combination. But that's the main reason when you put in that cheap captain there, it's so easy to just jam in the studs that in a large field contest, like, yeah, if you were playing Tyler Johnson in the captain, oh, okay, now, now we're condensing the amount, right? Because you could say 2% is low owned, right? It sounds low owned, but in the span of a 650,000 person contest, it's 13,000 lineups. Tyler Johnson in the captain, if he's 0.2% owned, now, you, now you're only competing with maybe, maybe 100 lineups now. So, you have to look at the raw amount, 2%. Oh, he's really low on, but that's still, 
How many lineups can you make like that? I mean, like, seriously, if you tried, we did it on the pre-lock show. If you tried, like, the top 20 lineups were all duplicated hundreds of times because those that those were the cash constructions. If you went to any projection model yesterday, it would try to throw in Gronk or, or Rojo into the, into the captain spot and then just pay up everywhere else, both quarterbacks and everything. Travis Hill, Kelsey, and you were good to go, right? So... It's the same reason why in NBA DFS or in any in any sport, we talk about like don't throw your cash lineup into a large field GPP. Your win equity is very low, and if you do happen to win, you're probably splitting seventy ways because it's 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 a cash lineup. Yeah, and it, there there are some people who I mean I know that uh, that Wilson on Twitter he he talks about being a cash game player who makes pivots. And that's one way that you can still utilize a, a roster construction that is high equity and high optimal. But in taking those small pivots away from certain players, you can stick with a roster construction that is going to project very, very well and still end up having that high win equity and not be duping with a whole bunch of people. If you just run the, the Roto Grinders optimal in GPPs, you're just throwing money away at every single night. Um, well, for large field GPPs, in large I, field GPPs, right. large field well, GPPs. Like when, when, when Will, like Wilson on, on on Twitter, like he's typically playing the the high stakes, smaller field stuff. So, like I get the you know taking the cash lineup and making a little pivot. Like even in large field GPPs, that isn't enough. But so the contest that he's playing primarily, when you're playing an eighty man contest for you know the three thousand k, you know three three k eighty man Thunderdomes, those types of things. That yeah, that, that 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 you don't have to worry about duplication that much. Even in showdown, uh, like there was a four, there was a four forty four, like four thousand four hundred forty four dollar contest. Like yeah, but the only reason is because there's less entries. When there's six hundred and fifty thousand entries, and you think you're going to win a million dollars playing a lineup that like that people are playing in double ups, like why just uh, I. When I saw that, when lock hit and I saw these lineups that were like duplicated, like I think one lineup was duplicated 3,600 times or something like that. that was the most popular line. I'm like, this is why I play showdown. This is, this is the reason why I do. Yes, I'm going to lose 98% of the time, but I've won three of them and I'm up like $80,000 doing so. So like, like that's, that's the reason why I do because people will play absurdly duplicated lineups and long run, those are negative EV. I'm going to play the positive EV lineups. Right. And the only reason why I brought up that idea with Wilson was because he did do it in the 15 and was leading for, for 100K with, with one of those. Ended up losing it because of double overtime. But I did, want, I did want to mention the idea that with roster construction, when you're thinking about your lineups, the biggest thing is trying to make sure that you're building lineups that can actually win and running just a straight optimal. That's, that's just not going to do anything for you. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, today. In the NBA, as you know, uh, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games as of now. Uh, right. OKC, who knows what's going on with them? Right, great. OKC is the late game. Even even better. Right. <laughs> right. Because AD is out, and then we have like Maladon is is now in the he played and now he's now he's out because of COVID protocols again. Uh, so, uh, and then Roby's questionable or he may be out or who knows. So we got to wait for stuff with OKC's going on. Uh, we got to see if Wes Russell Westbrook's going to play on a back-to-back. Okay. So we're waiting on that. So we got projections now as of 10, 13 AM. And based on some of the questions over the weekend in, uh, in the Road of Grinders discord, which is part of premium, I'm in the discord all the time. Right, just sign up for Roto Grinders Premium. Click on that link in the description. You get ten dollars off your first month, and uh, and I answer questions all the time, very similar to, to this show. So, so you know, I, I repeat myself a lot. Uh, so, people ask like about I talk a lot about volatility of players, right? A lot of times I'm talking about lineups, not players. So I mean, but they're made up of players to some extent, where you could you could have a lot two lineups that project median wise, very similar to one another, 
But one lineup is more volatile, has wider range of outcomes. It has higher variance than the other based on the composite of the players that are in that are that are that are in your lineup. This is especially true when you make considerations for cash games, right? So two players could have a 30-point median projection, but have different ranges of outcomes. And typically in cash, since you're in double ups, head to heads. You don't gain anything for get capturing ceiling that you'd rather play the player that has a narrower range of outcomes versus a wider range of outcomes. Then people look and go, well, how do I determine that? How do I determine that based on looking at the projections? Well, truthfully, I mean, the, the blunt way of doing it is what is their range? The rate, I mean, it's, it's simple, you know, math. Their range is we have right here, for instance, in lineup HQ, like uh, like DeMarcus Cousins, right? Median is 40, right? That's what F points means. That's the median. His floor, which is the like the 15th percentile about, 24.94, ceiling 63.56. That's the 85th percentile outcome. If we just did a, took the high number, 63.56, Subtracted 24.94, that range would be 38.62. So that would be the range between the 15th and the 85th percentile. If it's high, if it's wider, narrower, that's what you're looking at. So if you take a look, we go down, go down to like a poorly projected player or something like that, right? Here's someone with a, a very low smash, 3% smash. Hey, here we go. Here's one. Drew Holiday, 23 to 45. Right, 45 minus 23 is 22 points. So that's a very narrow range. And for his price, to get 45 points, he only has a 3% shot of doing that based on our current projections as of 10.13 in the morning. So Drew Holiday would be considered a much more narrower range projection on today's slate. So in like cash games, a lot of times you may see a player that, oh, he fits in. But the minutes volatility, it's, you know, then we get like guys like Anthony Edwards, right? We get guys that, that rely a lot on either minutes or shooting and their range could be wide, which means you could get six points, you could get 46 points. Now over the course of a million slates, it'll all even itself out from a median perspective, but we're not playing a million slates. So do you wanna, do you wanna sacrifice? You may wanna sacrifice 0 0.2, 0 0.5, even a full point of projection just to get the narrower range. But how do how do we identify that? Are we gonna just go through our lineup HQ and just start subtracting? Cause they're like, oh, well, what's his range? What's that range? Oh, 47 minus 15, like that's gonna take you forever. Well, there are two metrics here that we already calculate for you that that give you, give you an insight and that's RGB and smash. A lot of people don't understand what these two things are, okay? I wish they didn't call it RJV because it just makes it sound like it's a made-up value. It's the Roto Grinders value, right? But really, it's it's a plus-minus figure, points over or under the player's median for them to make value for their salary, right? Not smash, not you know, win a GPP, but to get the the appropriate amount of points that an 11K player should get on this slate that a 9K player should get on this slate, that a $4,800 player should get on this slate as a median, right? So the salary expected value, right? The salary adjusted value of 4.8K for Denzel Valentine, for instance, right? So we have an RG value of 5.42, which means his median is five, about five and a half points higher then what a $4,800 player should get you. A $4,800 player on this slate should get you somewhere around 20, 26 and a half points. But his median is 32. So anyone that's, if we go down by the salary list, let's go down to $4,800 players, like something like that. The other $4,800 players. So here we go. Like Lou Dort, Brooke Lopez. Here's Jay Sean Tate. Tyus Jones, right? So I've already said we need about uh, 26 points to make value for 4,800. 
Well, his meeting is five points, right? Denzel Valentine is about five points higher than that. Jason Tate is six points lower than that, right? His meeting is 20, but you need to get 26 for that salary, right here. Paul Millsap, 20. Gorgie Jang, 23. So that's what these numbers mean. How many points above or below the salary adjusted value that you should get for a player of that salary on this slate? So the higher ones are obviously very good plays, right? In a vacuum, right? The low ones would be pretty poor. Like you're not going to probably play Trey Lyles, who's projected for six minutes and four points for 3,200. You're going to need like 16 more points to make value, right? You're going to be way, way under projected right there. Then the ones at the top, Luca, Russell Westbrook, Valentine, Beal, LeBron James, Jokic, Giannis, Cousins. I mean, I'm just naming them. Why, why wouldn't you want to play these guys, right? That's, that's what you're looking for. And then the smash percentage represents the percentage of the time that the players will score what would be considered a GPP target score. A lot of times the baseline, it, go, it goes up and down depending on slate, is like 5x plus 10. So if you have a player that's, let's say Bradley Beal is 9,000. 9, so for a $9,000 player, you're going to need like 55 points or so. How often will he hit 55 points? Well, we could tell just by looking at the projections. 48-point median, 34.4, 63-point ceiling, which is the 85th percentile. So 85th percentile is the 15th, 15% shot. So where does 55 fall on this? Well, somewhere between the median and the ceiling. Well, based on this, it falls at the 70th percentile, which is a 30% shot. So even Jamino, this is in premium to give you a little explanation. It's part of Roto Academy. If you sign up for premium, click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. It shows the curve. I mean, I've showed this before. This, this distribution curve. This is a normal distribution curve. Normal bell-shaped curve. Of course, Jimino threw in the joke of, of Raul Neto, never play him, right? Uh, but it, this is what it shows. This is the projection right here, right in the middle. This is the floor. It shows the line. That's the ceiling. So where is the score that you need for a GPP on this line? So Bradley Beal, his, that 55 points is like where my mouse is right now. Now for Drew Holiday, it's like over here. For him to score 7,700, he needs to score like uh, like 46 points or something, right? 45, 46 points. Well, based on our projections, it's like around over here, 3%. It's like somewhere over here. It could happen, but it's much less likely as part of his range of outcomes. So really what you're viewing in the projections is this big fat middle here. All everything outside of like three standard deviations, that's like those, that's stuff that like almost never happens, right? That's like Bradley Beal putting up like an 105 point game, which I guess happens once every God knows how often, right? Or, or just like getting, you know, playing all the minutes and still only getting six points. Like that's in the, really the over three standard deviations. But most of what you're looking at in projections is somewhere in this fat, fat middle, the 68% middle of it but how do you identify volatile players well just by common sense thinking about the math of how this is done players that have a higher rgv higher plus minus typically a, a better cash place right because their median is higher than what's expected for their salary great ones that have high rgvs and lower smash percentages have narrower ranges. Ones that have lower RGVs, negative ones, but high smash percentages have wider ranges. So we take a look, for instance, on today's slate, as of the projections, as of now, you'd see someone like Giannis. Like we'll have to compare salaries, right? Giannis versus LeBron. 
Like LeBron actually has a higher range of outcomes, slightly more than, than Giannis. Look at Chris Middleton. Here's a good example. Someone that's good, but only has a 22% smash versus other guys that have higher, closer to 30. Here's an even better one, DeMar DeRozan. Perfect example. Yes, he's probably, yeah, plus minus value is plus 1.55. So yeah, you're, you're, you're a little bit over your median. He only has a 14% chance of smashing. And look how narrow this range is. His median is 39. His 85th percentile is 49. So like it's, there's not much there, but for cash games, like this would be, this would be fine. Like you'd rather play someone like this than play Michael Porter, right? The opposite example, right? Only 0.76 above his median, but look at his smash percentage, it's 31, right? Because you can tell right here, median 32, ceiling 40, almost 49. So that gap is much bigger than the gap of 10 with DeMar DeRozan. Then we could scroll down even more. We could go down to, to even the negative. I mean, we could go down to like really negative players to some extent, like Michael Bridges. Yeah, poor median, but he still has a 16% chance of, you know, getting a GPP winning score. Eric Gordon, right? Still has a 21% chance. So look, playing Eric Gordon in GPP may be better than playing DeMar DeRozan in GPP. Yes, he has a lower median, but he has a better chance of vastly exceeding his salary. We scroll down even more. Brooke Lopez. Here's a volatile player. That doesn't mean they're even good. Even it's not like these are good GPP plays. I'm just showing the extremes where like, this is someone that, oh, my last spot, $4,800. Should I play Brooke Lopez in my cash lineup? Probably not. Right. Pro- probably not. Oh, but he's uh, said, but he, he has a DC 22 point median. It's like, well, his range of outcomes is very wide. So can I find someone, can I find a lineup that doesn't include him so I can narrow that range of outcomes? Now in GPPs, it's the other way. It's like, oh, and you know, okay, I'll take a shot on a 1% on Brooke Lopez because he's a 17% chance of smashing. But if he puts up a dud, because look at look at that RGV, you know, he doesn't, he's he's gonna be four points, his median is four points under the salary implied threshold. Like, don't complain. Like it's it, it's got it's going to be volatile. Uh so James, I know on on, on pay dirt. Uh, you do this type of analysis also. Do you have figures? I mean, most projection models have figures like this. They may not be expressed in these terms. That's why I said Roto Grinders value is kind of like people like, what What does that mean? Uh, how do you do it on, on your end? So over at Paydirt, I have like a, a whole bunch of different metrics that measure how often players hit certain thresholds. Um, obviously I, have, I mean, I have projections, which are the medians, but then I also have a value percentage, which is how often they hit their salary expected value, which is similar to what RGV is. Um, I have, uh, five X, six X and seven X percentages. So how often they five X their salary, how often they six X and how often they seven. Is, is that uh, just to cut you off a little, is that, is that based off of historical data or through a simulation? Cause uh, what, oh. cause I, 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 right. Cause I, I just, we, we have to say, because people will ask, uh, how is this guy sealing this? He's never posted that before. It's like when you look at art, when you look at Roto Grinders projections, this is a byproduct of a simulation, mm-hmm. right? So what it's not looking at any historical data. The historical data is built into the minutes and the usage and all the, all all the variables. But like, well, he'll smash thirty one percent of the time means that when this simulation was run ten thousand times. 31% of the time he hit that. That's different than 31% of hit Luca's past career games. He said, right? Because that's his start. Now we're looking at descriptive data versus predictive ones. Right. So you on your site, I know you you do both. So you can yeah, show so- like I'm I'll even throw it on the screen. Like you have this uh historical ranges tool, mm-hmm. which is free. Right. And so that is one thing that I use. I go through and I have all the game logs through the season and I have game logs from last year as well. And what I do is I pull together all the players and I develop baselines based off of, I I have a little bit more weight towards recent data, but I utilize the entire season. Um, And then to build up my player projections and build up like 
I have Frank Kaminsky as of 9.34 a.m. my time. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, 56.8% of the time, does 6x his score. Um, and the reason for that is because based on historical values, I know that his deviation on points, rebounds, assists, et cetera, can be applied to a player level simulation over 5,000 different slates. So this is all based off of historical values, based off of deviations, based off of how often he scores this many points, his fantasy points per minute, uh, how many minutes he's expected to play, blah, 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 blah. So I, I actually develop on top of just the medians, I develop how often they hit those different thresholds because I think that it's really important to know how often a player is going to 7X or how often a player is going to 5X. Um, 5X players are obviously better for cash games. 7X players are better for GPPs. Um, and then I also have another proprietary stat called TVAL, which is uh, their true value, which is how often they hit that GPP score. So that's smash score that you guys have at Roto Grinders. I have that over at Pater in, uh, in my TVAL. So how, how, do you, how do you reconcile the fact that like if you're looking for historical data, when every game isn't, like you have no constant so for instance, like I'm looking here at Frank Kaminsky. Yeah. Like this is Frank Kaminsky's game logs. Now it's much different. It's much different. Like he's most likely not going to hit three X when he's playing backup center to Aiton with, with, you know, with Crowder in and whatever and Sarich back and all that stuff. And him starting as power forward and playing 26 minutes. So like, obviously if I just looked at like, oh, let's look at 20 games. And recently, now he's starting the last three games, like, like those seventeen other games. Like, how do you, like, obviously he didn't he, he didn't hit value on forty seven hundred in in those games because he only played six minutes. He, he DMP'd several games. So how so how how do you reconcile the historical data like that where you're not getting, you know, outcomes as part of your set that really have nothing to do with today's game? Well, a lot of what I do is based on per minute. So my baselines aren't necessarily based on the historical actual results, but they are based on the per minute stuff. And I can also go in and take out players from games like where Kaminsky is going to be starting. I have stats for that. I have stats for when his immediate uh, where the actual starter for Phoenix is out. I have different stats for when Jay Crowder is out, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to be able to weight those baselines differently per minute. And then as soon as you have a weighted baseline, based on the game circumstance and the game environment of players being in or out, then you can apply it to a minutes aggregate and assume that they are going to play, I don't know, 25 minutes or whatever. I, I'm not sure what I have Kaminsky projected for right now, but I, I like to use per minute stats. And the reason for that is because you can extrapolate it. It's scalable once you have minutes projections. So a, a lot of what I like to do is that kind of macro idea of a player in a certain game environment and then apply it to minutes. And if it comes out, uh, super weird, right? Because that'll happen. Like sometimes I go in and I'll mess with baselines and I'll, I'll build up a projection of like 20 fancy points for a player. And I'll go over and I'll look at what the industry sentiment is and they're projected for 14 fantasy points. And I'm like, Oh, well, I, I should probably take a look at that because that doesn't sound right at all for me. Um, and some, sometimes, you know, it's going to be a little bit more of deviation, three, four fancy points. But if it's super, super off, it's usually something that I'll want to take a look at. Um, the, the only other thing that I apply pretty heavily is matchup based stuff. So I do believe pretty heavily that uh, there are certain teams that allowed, you know, more or less fancy points. And I have another tool on my site for that as well. That is uh, defensive matchups that show you how often a, a team is allowing what, what boost they're allowing to point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, all that other stuff over the last 10, 20 games. So I, I used a combination of all those things, but most of it is just coming up with a permanent baseline based on the game environment and applying it to a minutes aggregate. Okay. So then, and once you apply the millets, the minutes allocation, you're done. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's, that's what the projection will be. Yep. So that, that's, so it's less of a simulation methodology and more of a, a, a historical analytical methodology. Well, it is going through a simulation. It's going through okay. a base. So, oh, so it's still going. Okay. So it's, and, and you're still taking that and still simulating it a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand times. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm using i I'm using a projections best friend, the Rand formula across 5,000 <laughs> simulations and, uh, and throwing it through Monte Carlo. And um, I, I do have to like, 
people kind of get confused when I say simulation because I think that a lot of people have an understanding of a simulation as like I'm simulating games and I'm not doing that. I don't simulate at the game level. I simulate at the player level. Um, and no one, no one in the industry, no one does games. I mean, you'd need, I mean, you need way more data and way more computer power. It is so hard to do game level simulations, man. I do them for MLB. I do have game level, game level simulations for MLB, but that's because it's very straightforward. It's very like this action leads to this action. And like, there's only so many things that can happen, but in, in an NFL game, I've tried to explain to people like why I can't just simulate an NFL game. And it's because you, that you just, you can't, you can't do it accurately. I feel I can do it accurately in MLB. Um, in NBA, though, like even NBA, you have to think about all of these different outcomes and you have a tree like a player gets the ball. And then what does he do? He either shoots, passes, turns over uh, or fouls. Like you can you can just say those four. There's probably more things than that as well. But just take those four. So now you have one that branches into four. And then from each of those four things, you have then that player or that circumstance then branches into five and then six and then nine. And then like you have another 45 that Brent, it's so much. And, that, and that's so just much. in two minutes of play. And that's just yeah. in, right, right. It's going to be ridiculous. So, so yeah, it's, it's player level based and Rotor Grinders, I'm sure does the same thing for NBA. Um, it, and I do just have to clarify that because I think that a lot of people kind of have a misunderstanding of when I say simulations and when you say simulations, it's player level, meaning that you're taking the player stats and you're simulating their environment, their projections and their game over so many runs of a simulation. And then you're doing that for every player on the slate. You are not doing it team level because that is just no, just it's no. Right. And understand that if whatever methodology you're using. And especially in the if you're going to try to go past the player level, is that every 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 standard DV every var the variance of every every variable in your simulation is is magnified is exponentially the more and more you do it. So if if you were off by a couple of percent on on a usage or uh, on three minutes here or whatever, like. 10,000 simulations, like you're, you're getting more and more off. So by the end of it, that's why you said accurate wise, like, yes, I guess you can do a game simulation to some extent, but if you're off by 1%, by the time a thousand is done, like your, your projections are like almost worthless at that point, because like, yes, it branched out here, it branched out there, it branched out this way or whatever. And 1% sounds small when it comes to, well, there's only a hundred branches. So you get one of them wrong. Oh, no big deal. But dude, we're talking, you're going to end up for an NBA game in the billions, right? Because of all the possibilities. Because then one guy, that they substitute a guy out. And then this guy has to come in. So all of those things have to be simulated for foul trouble. And all, I mean, so by the time you're done, like, what do you even look? You could get a number. I mean, you'd probably have to wait all day in order to compute that. And then by the time you, by the time you get that number, uh, it's uh, it's half an hour before a lock and that guy's out, right? <laughs> like, right? And then then it doesn't even matter. Okay, okay, let me do this all again. Please hold off the slate for forty eight hours so I could like it's 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 untenable at at this point. But that would be James. That would be the that would be the proper way of projecting players. It's just that it's it's just untenable to actually do. Yeah, it's it's so 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 hard to do something like that, and uh, there there are different ways to kind of like you you can't simulate a full game, but if you simulate player level well, then you can simulate tournaments in DraftKings. Mm -hmm. And I know there are a couple really really smart dudes in the industry that do that as as a way of trying to figure out what lineups have the best chance of winning the GPPs. Um, so that, that is another way of, of building out lineups that actually have a good chance based on projections and based on range of outcomes for specific players. Um, but when it, when it comes to simulations, I, there, there's a lot of misinformation and I've talked with Cardi about it a bit of, uh, of how accurate you actually need to be and, and the difference between accurate and precise when you are actually building out a simulation. And um, I, I, I think that, the, the way that I do it over at Paydirt, I think is very, very strong. It could be better. And, you know, I'm always working towards that. And 
uh, you're, you're always looking to be more and more accurate with the way that you build out projections. But the best thing that you can do is develop good historical weighted baselines and apply it to minutes for NBA and just play a lot. <laughs> just play a lot of slates and, uh, and hope that you land on the right side of variance after so many slates. Right. I mean, we have uh, our model is done by, by Jamino. And then we have our projections team that allocate the minutes and the usage. So like all of this is taken care of. I mean, some people may be watching this going, is that what I need to be doing? No, it's done for you. That's why you sign up for Roto Grinders Premium. That's why you go to PayDirt. You go, you go and it, it's all the work's done for you. I mean, I, I constantly say that like I'm going to outsource the stuff that I'm not as good at to people that are better than me. James, you're better than me when it comes to this, right? I think I'm better than you as far as building lineups and taking this into plus EV lineups, but I need to get to this point. I need this. If I can't get this, then my strength, then, then I'm going to have to use my weak. Now, now I'm starting to build models and you don't want me to start to build models because you don't want me in Excel and I end up screwing everything up in Excel. Right. And then you, then I got to learn Python and it's like, okay, I haven't learned the programming language in 20 years. Let me see if I, by the time I'm done to get to your level, it's seven years from now. So like, what the hell, like I just wasted seven years, but DFS could be dead by that point. So it's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to use Cardi's projections. I'm going to use Roto Grinders projections. I'm going to use your projections, whatever. And a lot of times if, if you're a good modeler, they're not going to be all that different. The only subjective difference would be like the minutes and the usage of like, well, based on this situation, because a lot of times you're going into something with like very little sample size. So like what are, what are OKC going to do if Mascala and Roby are both out and Horford's back in? Like, are they going to play Baisley at the five again? And if Baisley plays the five for 24 minutes, then who plays the four? Is it going to be Kendrick Will? Like, you have to allocate minutes that way, but that's the subjective thing of it could be 24, could be 18. That's what our team does. But if you don't agree with them, you could just change, change the minutes, allocate the minutes a different way. Say, no, I don't think this guy's going to play 32. I don't think Valentine's going to play 32 minutes. I think he's going to play 30. And I'm going I'm to give the other two minutes to some other guard, right? And give it to Archie Diacono. And then there, there you go. And it'll, it'll reflect in, in the median projection, the, the RG, the, the smash won't change because that's hard coded in, uh, but the RGV and everything else will change. So you can do that, but our team as of right now hasn't projected for 32 points. But like I said, this is the 10, this is 10, 13 AM. These are very initial, nothing. This is, I wake up in the morning projections team with the coffee and let's just, let's put in something so people can look at something and they'll update this throughout the day. But all the work is done for you. You know, you know, James, it's it's always amazing to me that I have to fight with people that like all the work is all the work is done. Like it's done. Like I do, do I have, I don't do I have to know who Chicago's even playing? No. All I have to know is Denzel Valentine has has these numbers like between here and that's it. The only reason I need to know what team he's on is for correlation, negative or positive correlation purposes. Other than that, or the position, I need to know the position, right? To know that. Other than that, like the matchup is already baked in. You already, everything's already simulated. Every, every, it's already taken care of for you. So, like to look at anything else is just is redundant. Like now, if you need to look at stuff, if you're if you're questioning, why is Denzel Valentine projecting so well right now? I don't get it. Well, then read the grind down. Right, read, read means his core plays. Read, I mean, you could dive into some of the stats. Look at look at the matchups and everything. It'll explain why, but like you don't have to do that. Also, a lot of times that's what I do. A lot of times, a lot of times, since I don't watch basketball, right? I know enough. I whatever, but I mean, I'm, I'm not watching. I'm not watching the tape or anything. I'll look and and I'll know, like, oh, why does why does LeBron project so much better today? Well, probably AD's out, right? I. And then I'll look, and if I see the AD's not out, I go, well, then why does, why? Why? And then then I, I start questioning. Then at, sometimes I'm like, okay, I just trust it or whatever. But a lot of times you'll just figure it out. You go like, well, why, why does, why, why is uh, Washington and Chicago projecting so well today? Well, it's Washington and Chicago. These teams play fast and have no defense. So like, yeah, I get it. The, what's the, t the total's probably high. 
See, like I didn't even know what the total was. I had to look up here. The total's like what, 126? One, no, 136 and a half? Uh, 236 and a half, all right. But I didn't even have to know the total. They project well, obviously because of the total, because of the lack of defense, it's a close spread game. But if you noticed, I didn't even, I, it's not, oh, I got to play these guys because they're in the high total game. It's like the, the projections will already reflect that. I'm going to look at some of these totals up here, which I normally don't look at and go, oh, uh, LAC OKC is only a one, two, a two, two, 16, right? So, so the, the available pie is going to be smaller, which means I have to expect unless there's some, you know, player that's underpriced too much that the play that, um, that uh, Shy Gilgis Alexander is not going to be like a screaming, like, oh, you got to play that guy. Like if, if OKC was playing Chicago or Washington, I'm expecting Shay Alexander's projection to not be 42.64. I'm expecting it to be 46.8. And now he starts moving up. But well, a lot of people, they start with who are they playing? What's the matchup? All that type of stuff. I go from the other direction. I go, the answer, we have the answer. The answer key is here. I already got the answers, right? Now, if I wanted to figure out why this is the answer, yeah, sure, I could go back. But at the end of the day, I'm out to make money, right? I'm out to build plus EV lineups. I, I couldn't care less the why. Like I'm, I'm, if I trust the model, I really don't care why, why any of this exists. Like, is the model accurate? Is it a high R squared? Then all I need to know is how the players relate to one another. I can play any sport. Go into, you can give me a bocce ball. And then the, the Italians playing bocce ball in the park. You make a DFS game out of that. I have no idea how this game is played, uh, but uh, but uh, just give me salaries and give me a model that 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 simulates everything. And it's like, well, if this guy rolls, then you got to play that guy too because they're correlated. Oh, 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 now I know how to build lineups. It's the same thing. So many people get stuck on like you got to got to know the you got to know the game. I see someone in chat. It's like I watched the game. I think you just have to watch the game. It's like, yeah, that's there's a reason why most of the best players don't watch the games at all. <laughs> and that's and have models and 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 rely on the math more so than your eye, your not and your brain. You're not going to be able to balance all these variables in your head unbiasedly, right? Is that a word? Unbiased with without any bias. So that that's what projection models are. And we explain this, James, all the time. We explain it in the course. Chapter three in the course, which is theoryofdfs.com. I even cheekily, I did it on purpose. Chapter three is called player selection. It's about two hours, it's a little over two, yeah, two and a half hours. People probably go in going, oh, this is, they're gonna tell, they're gonna tell us how, how, to, how to pick good players. And then it's a two and a half hour statistics class on how projections are made. <laughs> because uh, to, to me, people are scared. People are scared. They look at this, they go, oh, I don't get this. I don't, what's this, what's this symbol? This looks like an O, but it kind of has like a little piece of hair sticking out of it. I don't know what these numbers mean. And then they just kind of throw up their hands going, I'm just going to go play the guys that I like, you know? Or they look at projections, they go, I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Like the more you feel comfortable, then the more that you can just trust that you're playing a math game and then just play whatever the... To play whoever you want at that point, right? As long as the math adds up for the contest that you're in, you know, it doesn't matter if you're playing Zach Levine or Bradley Beal today. Well, you could play, I mean, truthfully, Bradley Beal projects right now a little bit higher, but if Zach Levine is twice as less owned, then Zach Levine may be a better play in a specific lineup. Yet in another lineup, Bradley Beal may make sense. So once you start, once you start understanding the math, or at least getting more comfortable with the math, you start taking the bias out of your play and build plus EV lineups, no matter if you like the player or not, or if it seems to make sense to you or not. And you could just look at these lineups as numbers. It's just like, oh, I just pressed this, 282. Great, that's that's what that lineup is. Like, but who's in the lineup? I don't know, what, does it matter? Like, other than negative and positive correlation, like. To, that's that's the median projection. That's what it is. So so using projections, which you could get premium, 
rotogrinders.com slash premium. Click on the link in the description for $10 off. But James, in, in your community at Pay Dirt, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that there are more people in your community that that are more comfortable with the numbers rather than like the players. But it still must be, it must be a tough, it's a tough leap. I can understand. I, I'm not, I'm inclined to it. I played poker. I come from a more math driven background when I was in school, computer programming. So, so I, it's easier for me to, to just dive in and go, no, this is what it is. Like, it's not a sports game. It's a math game. But how, how, how do you struggle with like, the people that you talk to in your community that are like, um, like they're, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're, typically the number one thing they say is like, I've never, I've never been good with numbers. Yet I don't think what we're talking about necessitates that, you know, high level of math skill. It's more common sense than anything. Yeah, there, there's typically two different kinds of directions that I think a lot of people in my community take. And, and I will say that I'm always really, really proud of the people in my community for embracing and understanding that this is a game to beat other people. And this is a game where you are not looking at the players and trying to like pick the best players. I, I think that a lot of people in my community understand that at this point, because I drilled into their heads every other day that this is a game about building the best lineups and not necessarily building with the best players. And where I think that a lot of people get into trouble is understanding that when you are looking at the numbers and when you are looking at the way that a player projects, two projections of, of similar nature, one, one player projected for 23, one player projected for 23.5, I think a lot of people still have a difficult time saying, that that's the same player. Um, and that saying like all, all things equal, if, if they're the same ownership, if they're the same position um, and they both project for around 23 to 24 fantasy points, it literally doesn't matter who you pick. Uh, and, and I think that that's where a lot of people struggle is understanding that when you look at projections, you have to separate them from the player because if one of those players is somebody who the person knows and one of those players is somebody who they are less acquainted with. That's where your biases of those players start getting in the way. You say, oh, well, Zach Levine, Zach Levine projects for 47, but Bradley Beal projects for 48. But I know that Bradley Beal is like, he's the superstar on, on Washington. And like, I've seen him put up 60 fantasy points and blah, 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 blah. But realistically, if they're projected for around the same ownership, that's the same play. And I think that that's probably the biggest part where people kind of like get a little bit screwy with understanding projections models and understanding what a projection really is. And then the other side of that is people who try to make it too much of a research game and try to find the missing answer in that they have been quote unquote missing. When a, a lot of time, if you're a good player and you're being subjected to bad variants, of course, you're going to question if your process is wrong. But I think that there are some people that have um, kind of a, kind of a, an addiction to research and like an addiction to filling that hole and saying that they're just one spot away and one like research point away and one data point away. And realistically, <laughs> sometimes you're, you're just not going to find it, man. Um, because, because like you said, there's a lot of common sense to this. And if you're missing the common sense part, I think that you have to have the common sense and the understanding of how to build lineups. Uh, and, and if you have that, and if you understand that the math is already being done for you in the projections, like I, I'm not missing the matchup. Like I, I'm, I'm not, Roto-Grinders is not missing that this player is starting and that's why they're projected that way. Um, and if you are going and you are overfitting your own mental model, which we talk about in theory of DFS, if you're overfitting your own mental model and you're developing these ideas that if you just focus on this one stat a little bit more, or if you focus a little bit less on this one spot a little bit, then you're going to hit the nuts and like you're going to have the golden process. Um, I, I think that that's where people kind of mess up is overfitting themselves. So th those two things of overfitting your own mental model and developing those biases towards certain data points and just not understanding that a projection and a player like separate those two things away from each other because the projections are what matter more than the player. 
that those are the two directions that I think that people make the most mistakes. Right, and what I did right now in lineup HQ is I set up a build for just 10 lineups, but number of unique players, four, which means the lineups have to be different by a 4v4. Okay, the top lineup is 282.11. The second lineup is 281.37. So it's what? Three quarters of a point difference. Three quarters of a point. That's like in the span of variance on it. When you're scoring 280 points to be less than a, a, a half of a percent. That that, that little, a, one bucket is more, it, literally more variance. Just one bucket. So this is a quarter of a bucket. Okay, difference between these two lineups. A quarter of a bucket in a 48 point, 48 minute game on a nine game slate with nine, that much. A quarter of a bucket. Yet there's four different players between these two lineups. Four completely. This one has Zach Levine. This one doesn't. This one has Davis Bertans. This one has both Westbrook and Beal in it. This one has Kenrich Williams, right? This one has Patrick Williams. Mathematically, these lineups are about the same, right? As of now, flip a coin. Right. As of now, flip right. You'd be, if you had to choose which one's going to score more more points, you're probably going to be as as right as a coin flip between these two lines, right? Slightly now, yes, obviously there's a point seven difference or so. So over the course of a million, okay, it's fifty point oh 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 three percent versus forty nine point nine 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 seven percent. To realize that edge, you're gonna to have to live like 70 lifetimes in order to, to and play this every and play the exact slate every day, 14 times a day for that long in order to realize the difference. So within the variance of the sport, these two lineups are virtually the same. They have four different players in in, in them. So you could look at this and go, oh, there's no way I play Zach Levine. I, he sucks. I'm gonna play this lineup instead. That's perfectly fine. If you want to make up that, that mathematically, there's really no difference between the lineups. So make up any reason that you want. Any reason that you want to do it, it's not going to matter. You could flip a coin. You could close your eyes. You could do any way you want. This is what I mean by play wherever you want. These lineups are mathematically equivalent. The choice, how much time, James, if I had to, if I, if you only gave me this choice between these two lineups, and I still have other stuff to do on the DFS slate and build other stuff, how much time am I going to ponder which of these two lines to play? Zero. Right. Ah. Less than, right, right. Whatever, as long as it takes me to look at it. Is that the edge between these two lineups is so minuscule that if you spent a half an hour going, I could play one, I could play this, I could play this, I could play, you're just wasting your time. You're not, you're not, you're not taking advantage of, of your time. It, it doesn't matter. You just flip a coin, and go, move on, Right. We go down to the next lineup. It's all 281.02. So we're still not getting that far away. This one has Oubre. This one has Middleton. This one has Derek White. So you look at this lineup and the second lineup and the first lineup and you go, well, which one out of the three do I play? You know what the answer is? Flip a coin, flip a three-sided coin, find a three-sided coin, get a <laughs> six-sided die. It doesn't matter. The lineups are so marginal in comparison to one another now once we get start getting down to the hundredth lineup then then we start getting a significant enough gap but if you can find lineups that are projected the same and are owned the same pick pick whatever way you want to pick them if you want to pick by the color of someone's shoes that's fine that's just you could pick randomly you could pick because you like the guy's name it doesn't like the, the reason why you do it doesn't change anything mathematically so so this is the main thing of, of lineups, not players, of play wherever you want. It sounds facetious comments, but it's really, it's, a, it's this whole concept wrapped up into very small amount of words, make it a little bit more catchy. But this is what we go on and on about. This is, this, this, this is the game of DFS. This is what's in theory of daily fantasy sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. 15-hour audio masterclass. All these concepts are in there. So if you're tired of, you know, searching through pregame shows and listening to podcasts uh, and just want all the concepts in a, in a structured way, it's more structured, like a seminar style uh, audio education. And yeah, they could reference anytime you want. Uh, just go to theoryofdfs.com and, uh, and, and, and pick this up. And, uh, and 
James, people can follow you. Paydirt underscore DFS. Yep, Paydirt underscore DFS over on uh, over on the Twitter machine. And then if you want to find all of my stuff, you can find it over at paydirt.ghost.io. Uh, I did unlock the NBA models, the range of outcomes for free for today, just because I'm going to start doing that on Mondays so that people who tune into this can go see what I'm talking about in relation to the Roto-Grinder stuff as well. So if you want to go over there and check that out, uh, just go to the NBA section and go to the range models. Okay, go play around with that if you want. Hit the thumbs up button on your way out. Let's see. Apple juice is not as cold as it should be, right? You're not, you're not hitting the thumbs up button. So hit the thumbs up, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got Grinders live tonight. Uh, what's the seven o'clock slate? So that'll come out at uh, that'll be that'll be uh, five thirty with Dean and someone else. I didn't look at the schedule, but someone else will be there. And then uh, six thirty is crunch time with Roth and Andy Means and someone else. Someone else for GPPs there. Uh, that's for premium members. So uh, pick that up uh, if you're if you're if you want to listen to that and the projections and everything. Rotogrinders.com/slash/premium. Ten dollars off. Your first month, and uh, it's a nine-game slate. It's a nine-game slate as of now. Uh, who knows? Who knows how it's going to end up? Who knows? Who right? we could run lineups now, and it's going to be completely different six six hours from now. So what is it going to matter? We'll go over it tomorrow, though, using Results DB like we normally do here on the DFS pregame show here on RotoGrinders.com. 